Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. My name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. We have two guests today. Our first guest is Dr. Ahmad Rufai. He's a senior lecturer with the Center for Peace Studies and Department of History at the Usman Danfurio University in Sokoto. Our second guest is Tarila Ebiere. Tarila is an adjunct professor of international affairs with the Brussels School of Governance in Belgium. Now this week, we'll be focusing on the insecurity in the North because there've been lots of stories. Uh, first of all, starting with the assassination of a major general, uh, the former Provost Marshal of the Nigerian army still serving, uh, Major General Hassan Ahmed was assassinated this week. We've also got reports of attacks on villages in southern Kaduna and Bishop Kuka of Sokoto has given a presentation to legislators in the US about Buhari's government's response. And so we just want to discuss all these issues because almost literally almost every day in the news this week, there was some sort of attack taking place in the north. So firstly, to Phoenix, to, to get us going, is, is it that attacks have, attacks have increased or is it just me maybe reading too much into the fact that newspapers are reporting uh, incidents or has there, gen was there, is there, has there generally been an increase over the, over the past week, Phoenix? Hi, Michael, uh, and thanks, uh, Dr. Rufai and uh, uh, Tyler for joining us uh, this week. Uh, hello, listeners. I, I think that the attacks have increased, um, Michael. I mean, in the month of July, and we're still only halfway through July, there have been two attacks in, in Zamfara. So, so there's no there's no doubt that we're beginning to and, and I mean let's not talk about Kaduna and how, how many attacks we've seen over the last uh, couple of months. So there's no there's no doubt that the incident of uh, bandit attacks has has increased, but I think it is also um, correlated with the whether it's a lack of capacity or inability of the Nigerian security forces to curtail them to to. To, to have that show of force that 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 puts the bandits on on the back foot and and you know goes very heavily against them so I mean they, you know th these are bad actors and and of course once they try and they and they see that they can be successful it emboldens them to keep doing it and if they're not seeing um, that show of force that re that tries to repel them or that tries to make them hold them accountable, um, in a very visible way, then, I mean, clearly they will, they will continue to ramp, ramp up their attacks. So there's no doubt that the, the attacks are increasing. There's no doubt that we're seeing uh, more and more incidents um, within a very, I mean, um, successive incidents within a short space of time. And, and, it, and it does um, create a, a lot of uh, concern, particularly in the Northwest where we're seeing a lot of this happening uh, repeatedly. Thank you, Phoenix. So it, it means it's not just me imagining things. So, so firstly to Dr. Rufai, focusing on the Northwest, Zamfara to be precise, what, what is really happening? Because some people say it's Boko Haram who are the so-called bandits, others say it's ISWAP, some say it's just criminal elements. 
But what, but what? Who are the people behind these attacks, Dr. Rafai? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, the fact remains that uh, the locals played a very important role in the attacks. And the fact also remains that there are quite a number of actors and factors responsible for the emergence, development, and also sustainability of this particular conflicts. The people we call the bandits, for instance, in Zamfara, I am telling you that 80 to 90% of these people are indigenous people that are known by their names, by their family background, by their orientation, where they sleep and also where they wake up. And the attack, as he rightly pointed out, has actually increased. And to be candid and to be frank with you, the attacks are likely going to increase probably tenfold before the end of the year. Simply because Zamfara state governor, the present Zamfara state governor, and also most of the governors of Northwest are now saying that it is no longer business as usual. We've seen situations and instances where these people we call the bandits dine with the governors sit down with the governors in the name of what? In the name of peace deal, in the names of amnesty, and also in the name of negotiation. And I'm telling you, huge amount of money was actually uh, invested in the past towards this issue of uh, negotiation. And the money being paid, it is more or less a new form of rackets. Racket in the sense that the bandit collects money from the state government, state government officials, in some cases, the so-called commissioners of security affairs, for instance, collecting a lot of money from the state government in the name of what? In the name of settling these bandits. That also played a very important role in increasing the number of these bandits over time, because it has now become a lucrative and profitable business venture. A lot of young boys on the age of 15, 16, and even below, for instance, are making money and are also transforming into bandits. And initially, it was a Fulani phenomenon. We call it as a Fulani bandits and all that. But today, we have indigenous people, probably the people we call the Hausa and other ethnic groups, participating actively in what? Actively in the act of banditry. So the point I made earlier on is that the body language and also the actions of the state governors have now changed from the act of negotiating with the bandits, settling with them. Because I am telling you, if you go to uh, Zamfara, to be precise, Gusau, virtually there is no area in, in, in Gusau where you cannot find a rented apartment for an ex, so-called ex-bandits. I have seen some of them, I have interacted with some of them, and I have also interviewed some of them. They sleep in their rented apartment, government rented apartment, for instance. In the morning, they go to the government house and they come back later in the evening. And that is not only peculiar to go so alone. You find almost the same thing in Katana. We've seen situations where at a point in time, some rural, uh, some people in Katana 
metropolitan katana are saying no, no government should not rent any apartment in their area in as much as that apartment is going to be given to the bandits the late awolun daudawa was in gusau he was specifically in damba he was rented an apartment by Zamfara state government in damba and he was he has large number of young boys that he recruits the, in the name of the foot soldiers and these foot soldiers are making a lot of money in the forest while he was actually busy in the city and what we also observe in recent times is that this bandit the moment they are sick and tired of staying in the forest for instance they will say that yeah we are ready to surrender and we have now repented and the government will now get them an apartment in the in the city and then the moment they rest they, they rest a, a bit let's say for a week or two or a month for instance even while they are actually in the rented apartment in the city they were also controlling and regulating what is happening in the forest because the loyalty of the young boys in the forest absolutely lies on what on these bandits and the moment they feel yeah they are actually now comfortable they are relaxed and they are they have they, they, they want to go back to the forest they simply retire and go back to the forest so now that changing nature of government attitudes towards these bandits is likely going to in, increase the rate the speed of their attacks and that is why you see an absolute increase in the number of kidnappings and also attacks thank you very much thank you dr rafai uh, you've you've painted a very grim picture of what of what is happening in zamfara and tarila one of the interesting things Dr. Rafai seems to be implying is the fact that the state governments seem to be pampering these uh, bandits instead of treating them harshly. And that's exactly what Dr. Kuka said to the American legislators sometime last week. So I don't know, Tarla, what, what do you think is, is the motivation behind that? Why, is, why are both state and federal government unwilling to take a tough tough hardline approach to the issue of banditry. What, what do you think is the reason, Tyler? I mean, there are, there are several reasons. So um, when you look at it carefully, there are several factors that shape how the government states, the state in Nigeria respond to, to violence. Um, we, um, when you look at the issues, you, first of all, governments often think, or political actors often think that when there is violence, this is an opportunity. They see an opportunity, a political opportunity for themselves in Nigeria, at the, at the, especially at the state, state government level. So as, as Dr. Ahmed said, government, governors will offer amnesty, they will offer peace treaty, rent apartments, trying to incorporate these actors into their political machinery. But as we are seeing in the case of the Sampara, oh, sorry, the Northwest entirely, that these actors are not necessarily willing to be included in the political machinery of the, or even where they are included, they have their own, carry out their activities in their own ways and they continue, they, they, they still terrorize the communities where they operate. So I think that the, the, the political undertones, the political calculations of the, at least the subnational actors, the governance, uh, is one reason. 
why they play this back and forth with this 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 element at the national level i i i am careful in my analysis more careful in my analysis in the sense that the national security apparatus responds to conflict in Nigeria based on certain mechanisms. And for the Northwest or for the whole banditry uh, uh, thing, as Dr. Ahmed uh, mentioned, I mean, that in the beginning, oftentimes this is framed, or in fact was started as framed as Fulani bandits, Fulani bandits. And, but we have seen a gradual change where even Fulani communities are becoming victims of so-called bandits. Therefore, the question then is, why, what is the political gain? Why, what, what is the political gain for the federal government, uh, led by Muhammad uh, Buhari, to have such a limited response to, to this serious emergency, this serious problem? And from where I stand, it seems to me that the, that the incumbent the administration does not see banditry as a threat to its power, to the regime security. Because when you look clearly from all other response to different forms of violence across the country, that when, when there is a, a perception that this violence threatens regime security, that the, the state goes all out in response to, to, to this, to, the, to, to that type of violence or even protests as you see with answers or things like that. But that in this case, it seems to me that the state or the government does not see, at the national level, does not see banditry, or as you call it, we call it banditry, but for, I mean, we can go into the definitions later, but this, that they, they don't see this, this violence as a threat to the regime security. And at the subnational level, the state level, the governors see political opportunity in this, in this, in this insecurity that is, that is going on. And who is the victim? Who, are the, who suffers? Everyday people. Maurit uh, Ahmed, you can, you, you, he has done a lot of research on this subject. He's an expert, and I'm glad to have you here with us. And the communities, ordinary people, traders, women, children are suffering. These, the security of these people is not at the center of state or national or federal government security policy. And this is, this is why. If, if you ask me to explain, this is why we are seeing this type of lackadaisical response to, to such a, an urgent national issue. Thank you. Thank you, Tarana. Uh, Phoenix, Tarana is basically saying that at both federal and state level, the leadership is not concerned because at the state level, they see political opportunity with doing deals or doing business with the bandits and at the federal level the government is not worried about threats as long as they don't threaten their own survival so i suppose the the question is what can ordinary nigerians do because they are victims and the government doesn't seem to care so what, what would what would you recommend that ordinary nigerians do phoenix Michael, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because I, I think the, the, the bigger challenge we have in Nigeria is, is, is the divisions that we see 
um, among Nigerians. I mean, if if all Nigerians, if if I mean, we, we all know that we're not one homogeneous entity, and and those divisions have been further um, widened and exacerbated in recent times, and so that makes it difficult to reach a consensus because very clearly there should be a common uh, widely held uh, view that this administration has failed um, when it comes to security and that they, not enough is being done and therefore there should be widespread agitation to hold the government to account, to hold uh, lawmakers and representatives in Abuja to make, it, to make them uncomfortable, to make them not be able to come back home and therefore go pressure the government. But we're not, we, we have too much divisions that don't allow that to happen. So when you ask me, what can ordinary Nigerians do? I, I, I struggle to find what the um, optimal answer would be. I think it, it just has to be that um, the few who, who understand the import of what's going on and, and understand, I mean, like Dr. Rufai has laid out, like, Tyler has laid out that we keep, you know, putting these things out there and trying to pass the message to, to people to build, you know, um, to build across the country a common understanding of the problems and the potential consequences. Some of which we already see. I mean, there are parts of the north, the north now that that are um, um, uninhabitable simply because people are not safe. I mean, you, you have IDPs everywhere, you have people fleeing from their homes. How long can this continue for? Um, we've, we've, we've heard um, both Tyler and, and Dr. Rufai talk about, you know, the fact that, I mean, state governors and state officials have used this as a racket for so long. Now the state governors are saying no, but you've already bred this, this people and you have a, a large population of young people who are uh, who really don't have any other thing to turn to and therefore see an easy way out through this banditry. How do you then hold them, um, how do you then address that situation? So for me, really it's about, you know, trying to find common ground to, to create a ground cell of opinion that, look, this is, this is not right for Nigeria, it's not right for anybody, that the, I mean, the continued failure of the state to address security issues has to become front and center. We've seen the NBC, for instance, during the week, I saw a letter from the NBC to, to, to the media telling them that they, they have to, you know, curtail their reportage of, of, of security issues. Those are things that we have to push against. Those are things that we have to, to speak up about and make sure that our fellow Nigerians understand the import of these things and come together so that we, we create a ground sort of opinion that can really, um, you know, I mean, force the government and make it uncomfortable. Um, but, but I struggle to see how that happens within the next two years, within the life of this government. Um, and maybe it then becomes a question of how do we make sure that the next government that comes in takes this seriously and has the interests of the people at heart. It, that's, that's where I am. I mean, because right now the administration that we have, I just don't see how you, how you make them do anything that... Uh, that will bring positivity for, for Nigerians. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, I suppose the, the worry is that the, the, there's political implications uh, from this. And I was wondering if, if you could br briefly uh, comment because 
I think the, the, the fear is if, if this carries on unabated, we'll get to the point where governors will not even be able to reside in their own states. So at what point do you think Buhari is going to have enough? Is there, the, what do the bandits have to do to finally cause him to, to take action? They have to take over Abuja, <laughs> I, I think. They have to take over Abuja. This is a man whose whose own home state has been under siege, right? Katsina is is also part of um, this problem. I mean, they they they've been struggling with these issues. I mean, he was in Katsina, and students were kidnapped in a school not too far from his home, and he didn't even bother to go, you know, show face and you know commiserate with the parents and you know show that promise them that he will get their kids back. So this guy, unless unless they 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 have surrounded Aso Rock and made his own life, um, or maybe one a member of his family is kidnapped, I, I don't see him doing anything. There's there's too much evidence of a lack of willingness to 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 um, to do anything for me to think otherwise. And the other thing is because I see his impact in other parts of the country, we see. I mean. Look, look at how the lengths they went to to, to, to find and capture Nambi Kanu and bring him back. Breaking so many international laws in the process. What's therefore stopping them from going all out to wipe out bandits? Look at how, how they reacted towards um, the, the, the Shiites when those ones were, I mean, did their thing, right? Look at how um, crocodile has danced or python has whatever. I mean, so there is the, there is within him the ability to 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 meet out force. He said it in a in a broadcast that he will treat them in the language they understand. So why is he not willing to show this level of force towards this banditry and and bring it to a stop? So for me, it it's clearly it's it points to Tyler's. Um, position that, look, there's, he doesn't see a risk to, to regime change, which we know that that is always front and center in his mind. I mean, there, there is some political connotation to it in the sense that there must be something that they're benefiting from both at the state level and the federal government level, and he's willing to turn a blind, blind eye. And unless he is personally inconvenienced, nothing is going to happen. That, that's how I see it. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, Dr. Rufai, Bishop Kuka, who is a Catholic Archbishop of Sokoto, has raised the alarm and he was speaking to members of the US legislature sometime, I think last week, where he said the Buhari government is not doing enough to tackle these issues, but even spoke broader about the fact that the Buhari government seems to have uh, a bias in favor of Muslims and others seem to be bothered about Christians being killed in the north. Do, do you agree with Dr. Kuka, um, Bishop Kuka? Uh, I actually absolutely disagree with him because when you look at the nature and the attitude of Nigerian states, it is actually a system or a state that under the Buhari's regime, for instance, never bother and never care about the issue of religion. 
look at the issue, uh, look at the, 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 the point and the argument raised by Terela, for instance. 90% of these people we call the bandits, for instance, are Fulani. And I'm telling you, 90% of the victims of this, of, of this banditry are also Fulani. And not only that, Buhari is actually a Fulani. So when you put that within the context of the conception and perception of the Nigerian states, it is something that has no business whatsoever with the issue of religion. And what matters most to them is how to maintain themselves actually in power. As long as the issue of banditry and bandits did not in any way cause any threat to the issue of regime change, they have no business with that. And also in the rural areas here, we've seen people complaining that some of these state governors have the belief and the feelings that they want to relate and also continue relating with the bandits for, for what? For probably political gain. Maybe in the next two years, for instance, they will make use of them to actually secure seats for themselves and also for their supporters. And there is actually that, 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 that argument and also that feelings among the, 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 the general public. So the fact remains that it is not the issue of religion. When you look at Buhari very closely and you study him, he is somebody that doesn't bother much about creating a dividing line between Muslims and Christians. And it is not just the problem of Buhari alone. The entire system is so docile to the extent that issues related to this bandit, for instance, nobody cares about what is happening. I am telling you, the state governors that we have in the Northwest, there are governors that cannot go beyond 100 kilometers from their state headquarters, simply because of what? Simply because of this, this issue of insecurity. And these bandits have actually grown in size, in wing, and also in power to the extent that including the state capitals are also not safe. And just like you rightly pointed out, I, uh, Felix actually rightly pointed out, it is only when they pose a very serious threat, for instance, to Abuja, that an, an action drastically will be taken. And let me give you a very good example. When uh, Governor Bellu of... Uh, of Niger State came out boldly after the Munyi or the Munya uh, attack by bandits. He said, actually, he observed the infiltration of Iswab and also members of Boko Haram within the bandits, forging a relationship between the real bandits that we know with Boko Haram. It is actually going to be a very difficult exercise because these are people that have two different perspectives, two different perceptions. Sorry two different orientation and also two different uh, worldview, for instance. But I am not also disputing the fact that if you go to areas like Kaduna and Brinungwari and other areas, you find an element of that relationship between Dogojide, for instance, and some other uh, Boko Haram elements. But the fact remains that the argument raised by, uh, by Father Kuka, it is not actually a true reflection of the position of President Muhammad Buhari and also the position of the government of President Muhammad Buhari. And some people feel he doesn't actually want to overstretch the issue of the banditry because, because of what? Because by the time these bandits will decide to unite, look at the origin. This is something that started in Zamfara around 2010, 20, 20, uh, 20, 2011. 
and from Zamfara, it has engulfed and also penetrated into Sokoto, from Sokoto to Katsena, from Katsena to, to Kaduna, from Kaduna to, to, to Niger, from Niger to Kibi. And by the time I am telling you, at the moment, we have not less than 25,000 members of these bandits operating across different parts of the, of, of the Northwest. Dr. Rafai, then the question still... that the government actually approach, how will the government have... Hello, can you hear me? Oh, sorry, you, you cut off a bit, but please carry on. Hello? Yes, we, we can hear you, Dr. Rafai, but you, you've put yourself on mute. Can, can you hear me? Yes, I can, I can hear you. Okay, no, please, please round up your point. Yes, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that Actually, it is the attitude of the of 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 the government that is the Buhari's administration. Look at how the issue of Boko Haram has actually lingered so long, and also the point you rightly pointed out. Look at the 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 level of pressure and the level of action that was taken against the issue of the uh, the NSAS. Why is it so? And look at the the the, the also uh, issue of Inam in, uh, in and the rest of them. And these are very clear indications that the government is never and ever serious about security of its citizens. And that is why that constitutes a very serious problem. But the issue of religion is completely out of his agenda and he has no clear understanding or a dividing line between who is actually a Muslim and who is not. And if Atul Buhari is going to save anybody on this earth, he's supposed to save the Fulani first because they are people that they belong to the same ethnic group and look at how unserious the government is. Forget about the, 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 the kidnapping of the Kankara boys while he was in Daura. In the same Daura, for instance, Maga Jingarin Daura was actually kidnapped by, by, by this bandit and huge amount of money was paid before the release of Magajin Gadindaura. And this Magaji that we are talking about is somebody that has a direct relationship with Buhari. So I think uh, that issue should, should, be, should be looked at very closely and very carefully. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Rafai. I need to bring uh, Tarila in. Uh, Tarila, Dr. Rafai believes that there's no religious bias in Buhari's handling of the security situation in the North. Do, do you agree with that? So do you think Bishop Kuka is wrong, Tarela? I don't think there's a wrong or right answer in this, in, in responding to this issue. I mean, it depends on how you frame it. Huh? But there is a, uh, there's a, an honest way to have this conversation. And one way to look at this issue is that, yes, there is religious issues, Yes, there are ethnic issues, as has been rightly pointed out by Ahmed, uh, Dr. Rufai, about the nature of ethnicity in the, in, the, in, the, in the mobilization, the Fulani identity, you know, the Fulani question. And there is element of how Buhari's security architecture, how this Nigerian security architecture in Nigeria is dominated by uh, people from uh, uh, Muslims, uh, this is, I think, what uh, Bishop Kuka refers to. But in thinking and in analyzing this issue, I think it is, it is not that religion is a problem. It's not that uh, uh, 
uh, ethnicity is the issue or not, but it is the ways in which these identities are manipulated by or interact with the decisions of the different political elites, especially in Buhari's administration. So I do not think that Buhari has a problem in mobilizing Islamic uh, Muslim identity in pursuance to his political ambitions or his regime security. He will do that easily. And if he trusts that, if he, if he, if he trusts um, um, that Muslim man will be in best position to secure his community or secure his government, sorry, he will, of course, if he thinks that a, a, a Christian or even a, a somebody, he will do it. But again, second is that religion, I am not saying we should abandon it completely. Neither am I saying we should abandon ethnicity comple completely, but it is that how these identities are instrumentalized by people in government is what is at the heart of the matter. Yeah. And that in Poshwan, because in, this is in Poshwan to their own regime security, sorry, in pursuit of their own regime security. That is what is at stake here. So, but again, what we see across the Northwest is that there are attacks on Christian minorities in, in, in Southern Kaduna, as you see. And what Bishop Kuka is referring to as a, as a leader of, of minor, Christian minorities in the Northwest and in Nigeria as a whole, he makes a valid point that his communities, uh, people who practice his religion and his communities are being eviscerated, are being destroyed, are being killed, are being displaced. And that the government is not responding, you know. And yet, on the other hand, on the other part of the Northwest, Muslim communities, minority Muslim communities, non-Fulani Muslim communities are also being killed, and the government is not responding. So, yes, as a politician or as an opinion leader of a, of, a, of, a, of a movement, I would hold the view that the government. Uh, dominated by uh, Muslim uh, practitioners have captured the security institutions in a way that sustains their interests. But when you look at it in the broad canvas, you will see that it is not just because they are Muslims or they are uh, Fulanis. It is that they, in, that they manipulate these religious identities, these ethnic identities, for their own interests, you know, for their own political ambitions, for their own political security and regime security. So I don't know if I'm very I'm clear enough, but the point is that when we are looking at these issues, we should look at, as Phoenix has rightly pointed out, you know, that if we want to develop a shared agenda, a common citizenship across Nigeria, across board then we need to look at how these elites, political elites manipulate religious and ethnic identities in, and essentialize it in ways that do not benefit majority of their own people. What Kuka is saying therefore is not wrong or neither can we say it's right in the sense, but it is a view which clearly represents his constituency, his community, is Christian, is a minority, 
Therefore, his views are right that the government does not respond to the security demands of his people. But on the other hand, also, that the government does not respond to the security demands of rural Fulani or Hausa or other minorities in Northwestern Nigeria. Let us center this back to the fact that the government has completely failed in providing security for anybody who is not part of the regime. Government has failed in providing security even for their own military personnel. Even in fact, even for their, their people, military officers, serving high-ranking military officers are being assassinated on the highway. Government has failed in providing security. At least, let, I think we should center on that. We should focus on that issue. The failure of the administration to provide security for people irrespective of their tribe, religion, or ethnicity, or wherever they come from. I think if we look at it that way, we will be able to mobilize not just the uh, United States uh, Congress, who have very limited agenda in Nigeria, but we'll be able to mobilize people from different walks of Nigeria, life, Nigerians from different parts of the Federation, Nigerians who are in or not East, West, and South, who have been affected by this issue of insecurity, and not limit ourselves to this, to, 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 to ethnic or religious. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying they're not important. I am aware they are real. They can be used to mobilize people, and they, they are used to mobilize people, and people act on them. But we should have a broad vision for our country, and we should look uh, in a large scale and see that this elite, the governing elite, the Buhari administration is manipulating these identities to serve their regime security and their interests, and not necessarily serve the common Fulani man who is in the bush being kidnapped or unable to go to their farm as in the case in, in, in Northwest. Thank you. Thank you, Tarila. Phoenix, we've heard what Tarila and Dr. Rafai have said. Now, I recall, for example, that this is probably the first time in any government that we've had a documented terrorist sympathizer holding a strategic government, uh, government appointment. That's the Minister for Information and Communications Technology, uh, who is who's documented his support for Al Qaeda and terrorism, and now uh, the re report said he'd signed Nigeria up to some sort of digital coin group of nations that are all hardline Islamic in nature. So, is it true? Do you do you agree with the angle Tarla and Rufai? Dr. Rafai are coming from that Buhari is just equal opportunities in his approach to misgovernance, or do you also think that, that there is some sort of religious bias involved in his governance approach, Phoenix? I think the evidence points to, to ethnic and religious bias. If I, was to, if I was to rank, I'd say for him, it's always ethnicity first, and then, of course, religion and it is Buhari we're talking about there's there's enough evidence for you to point out you only have to look at I mean his appointments you only have to look at all of his security chiefs being of a certain ethnicity okay let's say most of them being of a certain ethnicity and necessarily of a certain religion then the pantami issue that you're talking about um but I think the point that they are making is 
and this is a this is a matter of experience and i see the point they're making in the sense that there is the willingness to to also sacrifice and, and i think it comes from that feudal mindset from from all of that to 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 be willing to look the other way when your own people are, are suffering, which then makes it look as though, oh, okay, there's, I mean, if 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 we're seeing Fulani's also suffer, and I've also talked about the fact that he hasn't responded as effectively as you will have expected, or you're seeing predominantly uh, Muslim people suffer, and you have not seen the response, then it, see, it makes it look as though, um, I mean, as though there is no there's no religious slant to it, but but I I don't believe that because I've, I, they, there is documented evidence of Buhari being, I mean, there was a point in time in the history of this country where he said an attack on on Boko Haram was an attack on the north. There was a point in time when Boko Haram was emboldened enough to to choose him as somebody to go speak on their behalf. We have seen um, issues where he's his religious leanings has has been has come to the fore. So, if you were to ask me if he had the if he had the choice to make to save one or the other, which would he go for? I, I mean, I would I would boldly say that he is more likely to side on the on this on the side of a, a northern Muslim than on the side of a northern Christian. We've also seen the issues in in southern Kaduna. We've seen in Kaduna, for instance, when I mean, the areas that are most vulnerable, where the government has asked for schools to be closed, are mostly, I mean, schools, I mean, of a of a Christian nature. So for, for me, it's, I mean, I mean, two things can be true in the sense that you can have, you can have somebody who is very clearly leans to one to one side from an ethnicity and a religious bent, but also somebody who is also, uh, also calculating enough to be to be I mean to be able to look away when people that you naturally expect from his from his positioning to, to protect to jump to their to their rescue he's willing to look away because he can get away with it because he has that mystique that he's built that people will not hold him to account you know it, 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 it's it's strange to me that the north allows him to get away with the level of insecurity that, that has happened now, something that they never afforded a, a good luck Jonathan from the South. One of the reasons why good luck was pelted, was stoned in, in, in Bornu was because people felt that he wasn't doing enough. They, I mean, the, the media was awash with, I mean, uh, reports of him going to dance when I think the boys in, in Buniyadi were, 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 were killed or something or something of that nature. There was a political rally that they went for. So people said, I mean, he didn't show enough care, right? So, I mean, quite rightly, they, they they showed their frustration. But back then, we only had one issue in the Northeast. Now we have issue, we still have Boko Haram, you know, rampaging and, you know, they've practically annexed Bornu and set up their own government. Then we have issues with, uh, in the Northwest that have spiraled out, out of control. And, you know, Dr. Rufai was telling us how this is going to grow tenfold by within the next six months. We have the North, the North Central has always been a, an issue with, with uh, uh, play two state. Uh, uh, yeah, we play two state and, uh, and, uh, and, and of course, Southern Kaduna. 
And then other parts, I mean, so, so for me, the entire North has been under, has been insecure for as long as Buhari has been president, but nobody's holding him to account. There's no, there's, I mean, there's no groundswell of opinion that has dented his image in the eyes of, 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 the, of the Northerners. So to my, to my knowledge, of course, there will be pockets of people who, who see the truth and call it out, but the, the groundswell of opinion still shows that this man is still held in, in high regard. So for me, to the extent that he's, he believes that he's that Teflon and can get away with this kind of things, he's willing to take a few, I mean, to, to, to show that lack of, um, uh, that, that lack of um, urgency in resolving these issues. But that doesn't mean that he, on his scale of preference, he would not differentiate. I mean, for me, I mean, that's what his history tells me. That's what his behavior tells me. And, and I will not go away from that. I only need to look at how he, how he leads, how he um, appoints people, and how he shows his uh, his his interest and his behavior. So, I mean, I I do not disagree entirely. I I I, I see the point of view that they are making in terms of look in in, I mean, you know, with the feudal mindset, they are willing to to take a few hits to continue to I mean have the political solution that they prefer. But if push comes to shove, I, I strongly believe that I mean, it will come to the fore, as we saw it come to the fore with, uh, with uh, Pantami. We've seen a recent cleric. We saw that, I mean, that, this was posted uh, where a recent cleric was practically issuing a fatwa on somebody. Nobody has gone after him. We've seen Sheikh Gumi go and, and cavort with uh, bandits. No one has, I mean, they, they invited him, but they said it was more of a courtesy invitation or something like that but if what sunday Igbo is saying the same thing in in the south and and he's been declared wanted and 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 they're going after him so there are too many cases of of such inconsistencies for me to to just say that no he's an equal opportunity um on caring leader there are political calculations to why they would ignore certain events in the northwest but clearly, there's there's always been that sense that he's he's ethnically and uh, religiously driven in his uh, in his outlook. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, in, in my view, I, I think you might be onto something there. I think whilst yes, Buhari's general incompetence is a factor. I think there's sufficient evidence that he has a religious and ethnic bias. But on to my next question, which is for Dr. Rafai. Um, Dr. Rafai, a number of commentators have said the North is at risk of total implosion. And it's not just because of Boko Haram or the bandits. But many of them have said the Sharia law itself is likely to consume the North because we have examples, they've given people are given examples of people being sentenced to death in Sokoto and Kano state because they've allegedly criticized the Prophet Muhammad. And a number of people have said, what is the difference really between Boko Haram and what the governors are doing? And so how do you respond to that? Do you, do you think the Sharia movement in the North is, is also a threat to security or do you, do you, do you not see a problem? Dr. Rafai? Honestly, I don't see 
any form of uh, or any problem with the issue of the Sharia. And I am telling you, there are quite a number of people in the North today that have the belief and the feelings that they are going to be better on the Sharia legal system, for instance, than the way and manner we are in now. Because the fact remains that the Sharia we are talking about is a total and complete way of life. And there are quite a number of people, just like I said, in the rural areas that are pro-Sharia and are also want that Sharia to actually be implemented in the North. So when you look at it very closely, there is actually no any form of threats that will come after the introduction of Sharia. Rather, life and even the security system in, in the North is actually going to be improved and also strengthened under the issue of Sharia. Because there is nothing one would say about the issue of Sharia other than the issue of justice. So when you look at it very well, those people that are actually, there are people that are, still have the belief that it is actually going to be better for them to be under Sharia legal system in the rural areas, for instance, than the system in which we are in now. So for me, I don't see any threats, and I also don't see any possibility of probably Sharia constituting a threat to the issue of security in the far north. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rafai. My, my follow-up question to that is, how do you address the, or do you think there's an incompatibility issue between Sharia and the constitution? Because for example, freedom of speech and freedom of thought allows you to criticize anyone you want to criticize or people are being sentenced to death for allegedly criticizing the prophet muhammad so how how do you, are, are you do you support the death penalty for people that criticize the prophet muhammad dr rafai are you there Dr. Rafai, you seem to be on mute. Oh, I think uh, we may. Uh, let, let's, we can continue uh, in the, maybe I, I should inter come in there, you know. The, the issues at stake and the discussion, I, I would rather frame it, maybe I'll frame it differently, is, uh, to ask, I mean, to understand is how do we build a society that is inclusive? Uh, how do we build a society that is inclusive where if people choose to practice Sharia, how will they accommodate? How can we accommodate? Uh, how, how, can we, how can we accommodate the Sharia way of life with the, with other ways of life in a multi-ethnic, multi-religious, and multi-multi-multi uh, um, uh, uh, in, in a diverse society, I think that that is what is at stake right now, and that is what uh, what we need to reflect on carefully. In that, if the, the the way of life, the Sharia way of life, is it compatible with other ways of life, and how can these be reconciled? with other ways of life. And I think this is a very important point to reflect on 
uh, if 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 we if we want to build an inclusive society, uh, are there ways in which we can? Are there ways we can accommodate? Are there ways we can include? What are the issues at stake? You know, what are the issues that are not compatible, and what are the issues? What What are the issues? I think this is what should be of concern. So, sorry, Carola. Sorry to cut you there, but I think. Um... You seem to be trying to dance around the issues. The, the question that people have asked on social media is, I think it's a straightforward question, which is how on one hand can you be fighting Boko Haram who are saying they want to kill people for opposing or criticizing the prophet? And then we also have state governments who are also sentencing people to death for doing the same thing. So the question is a straightforward question. Is this right or is it wrong? Well, I would, I would, I would, I mean, that question is not to me, and I'm sure, I'm sure you, you wanted that Dr. Rafai to address that, but I wouldn't, uh, in a, in, in the kind of society we come from, I wouldn't frame the question like that, you know, uh, we would, I would rather elicit, ask the views, what, how do, how is this compatible with civil, with other forms of civil society? Uh, of so, course, so, like, so, so, so sorry, sorry, so that is my question to you. Do you, do you agree with the, the, the position of the governors of the northern states that people should be sentenced to death for criticizing religious, religious figures like Prophet Muhammad? Do you agree with it or do you disagree with it? First of all, I'm not a Muslim. And, uh, and, sec and second, I, I am a liberal uh, uh, thinker. And my views are clearly that uh, the idea of death sentence in itself is, is wrong and has no place in a modern civilized society. And followed by the fact that I do not think that people should be punished uh, for blasphemies, like accused, like going back to the days of accusing people of witchcraft uh, and killing people because they say they, because someone say they, 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 are witch, they are witchcraft. But again, with all these things that are happening, it goes to a much more deeper issue in the Nigerian society and which I, 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 unfortunately that we lost uh, Dr. Rafai, which is the question I always ask people in Nigeria, what kind of society do we want to live in? If you say people want Sharia, what kind of Sharia do they want? You know, do they want a Sharia for the poor and another system for the rich? Do they want a Sharia for the bandits, another system for the, for, for, for the uh, for, uh, Sharia for the poor, another system for the bandits? I think that we need an inclusive society. If the laws cannot be applied differently. And this, this and again, I, I think how we ask this question matter because we shouldn't put it on people's face, but we should create a room for having a conversation. And I think if we start to investigate these things in the north, and ask people, what kind of Sharia do you want? And you give specific examples of corruption, specific examples of negligence, specific examples that insist, that shows that Islam is not, anti, is not against Western education and explain that this justice system that excludes, that is meant for the one for the poor, one for the rich, is not Sharia. 
Um, sorry, sorry, I have to uh, step in there to bring in Phoenix because once again, Tara, you appear to be jumping around my questions, which is I, I don't think I'm jumping around. Okay, I think it's a, it's a specific point. the The issue is, it's not really about what kind of Sharia you want. The question is, if Nigeria is a secular state, i.e., there is no state religion, then it doesn't matter what kind of Sharia anybody wants. There should be no Sharia because of the way our constitution is supposed to be. So we don't need to persuade anybody what the Bible or the Quran says. The point is, those beliefs should be your personal beliefs, not funded or sponsored by the state. But I'm going to ask Phoenix at this point. Um, Phoenix, what is your view? Because a number of people have raised this issue that there seems to be a contradiction on the one hand between the governor's sentencing people to death or state government sentencing people to death for blasphemy on one hand and then Boko Haram also doing the same thing and a number of commentators on social media have said look um, we what is going on is this constitutional and secondly why are we wasting resources fighting Boko Haram if the same things are happening in in, in the states anyway so how, how do you respond to that Phoenix? I think I'm, I'm with um, Tyler when he says that uh... Um, the death—I mean, death penalty—especially in this case for, for blasphemy—has no place in in modern society. But I, I want to look at it from a political perspective because I think this is one of the reasons why we agitate for restructuring. I, I mean, if if we are committed to democracy, then we must let democracy take its full its, its full course in the sense that if 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 the majority of people in a particular part of the country say they want sharia then they should have sharia that's what democracy is about it's not about policing people's choices it's about enabling them to have those choices and then those of us that do not agree should vote with our feet we should ref so that, that that for me again so let me start from this point i always argue when people say nigeria is a secular state yes the constitution seems to want to say that but for me, the Nigeria is a multi-religious state because the state recognizes religion and actively participate. We have state-sponsored pilgrimages. We have the states, I mean, enabling prayer whenever, I mean, in, in, in for, in, in, I mean, the two major religions, whenever there are state functions. So the states cannot be doing one thing and then say no, but our constitution says we're secular and so we do not know the, we do not know the church or, or I mean, Christianity or Islam. That's not true. So, and the other part of it is, for me, it has to be a question of restructuring the country and letting us have semi-autonomous parts of the country that then choose what they what works for them in that part of the country. And that, for me, is is what democracy is about. So, if if the north, if parts of the, if we all become uh, semi-autonomous and we are all um, independently able to, to run our own governments just like the way we were designed when we first took independence, then let the North, I mean, decide to, to have a referendum or whatever, or vote on the issue and say, oh yes, we do want Sharia and let it, let it, let it be um, in that part of the, of the country and let them do whatever they want and let people who do not subscribe to that or who are not of that religion be protected by the Nigerian state, or they vote with their feet if they can and move to other parts of the country that is, that, that is more amenable to what works for them. But it has, to, I mean, if we've chosen democracy, it has to be democracy in all of its forms, where no, 
where, where, it, where, where it works. So if you ask me what's my personal view, of course my personal view is that blasphemy, I mean, sent, having a state gov, governor um, sentencing anyone to death on, on, on blasphemy charges is out of is, is beyond the pale. I, I totally condemn it. And I've we've we've had episodes where we've talked about this blasphemy thing, and I will continue to state state that. But the point for me cannot be that we then try, as much as we don't want one part of the country to to push their beliefs on another part of the country, we also cannot be seen to be forcing our beliefs on other on other people. If- I have to clarify the point of Phoenix in the, sorry to sound, sorry if I'm sounding patronizing, but the way democracy would work in a constitutional democracy is, even in federalism, yes, individual states will have freedom to make certain laws, but you still have a federal Supreme Court that guarantees certain universal rights. So there'll be some rights that states cannot take away from their citizens, even if they wanted to do other things. So for example, the right to life, the right to religion, those will be rights that are not in any way restructure away. Because the moment you restructure away the right to life, then you are not the same country anymore. You're not restructure, you're not restructure. No, no. Uh, Phoenix, can I come in there? That's not correct. Let me just quickly address the point that he's making. You're not restructuring away the right to life. What you are, what you are giving everybody, once you restructure, what you're saying is that yes, there will be, I mean, there, there will be the highest court of the land that would decide on constitutional issues and decide on issues that should not only reside at state level. But what you are saying is that within that state, the state has the right, based on the will of the people, to choose what system of governance they want. What yes, but, but that's my point. The free okay, uh, can, I, can I intervene? That's not wait, 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 let me finish then. You, you can come in, Tarela. Freedom of religion, for example, freedom of religion, is a fundamental constitutional right. So it's not something that can be derogated to a state government. So the freedom of religion, the freedom of thought, freedom of speech will be a universal right guaranteed to every Nigerian to be able to criticize a religion. The moment you delegate that to a state to say, you cannot in Kano state, for example, criticize uh, Jesus or Mohammed in Kano state, and that entitles you to be sentenced to death because Kano people have voted for that. What you've effectively done is the country has split in two. So restructuring cannot solve that problem. No, no, uh, you, you are a lawyer. Huh? But this is a matter of law and politics that we, we need to reflect on. First, you know, I think your last, I see the point you're making, but your last point uh, doesn't hold because in the United States where you are also a member of the bar there, you know that there are states where certain crimes implies death penalty while if committed in another state would not lead to death. That's a fact. So no, in that case, it doesn't no, that- No, they're all still criminal offenses. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you, you, there, are, there are issues that can be considered. So there are issues where, where, where you can say, yeah, this, this crime leads to this, and this crime leads to, uh, it's a similar crime and you don't have the same outcome in different states. But then you say this is a, this could be like a, a religious matter, a civil matter. The question, Ahmed, uh, thank God Morita Ahmed is back with us. The question is, will this, will Sharia undermine the progress of the North? And should it, is it inclusive? Does, how can we be speaking of issues such as blasphemy and uh, in a modern civilized society? You know, one point I want to make clearly is this. 
I've just been I've just been there in Lagos, you know, and I talk to people. And I, you see, one thing that I want to make clear is I'm not trying to be politically correct, but I'm trying to see that in Nigeria we need a common citizenship, a basis, yeah, and when we are that, that which everybody is equal on a certain basis. I have the life to write in Sokoto. I have the life to write in Kano. I have the right to write uh, the right to life in Bayelsa, uh, where anywhere. And I think we need to develop this first before we speak of other issues. And when we tend to say, to make Sharia or living in the North or a Northern problem and leave it exclusively for people of that region or make resource control or the environmental issues a Southern problem and leave it exclusively for the people of that region, we begin to miss a shared humanity. We begin to miss opportunities for developing a common citizenship in our country. And I know people will say we have tried it before. It does not, it, it, it can, we, are ne- we are not the same people and all that. But as long as we remain in the same country, we must, we should give an opportunity to ask, you know, to probe into the society. As I said, if we are criticizing Sharia, we should examine it from the perspective of the ordinary people. If people, as uh, Dr. Ahmed said, said, if the people in the the rural areas in Zanfara want Sharia, the question I will ask them is simple. Do you want Sharia for yourself and a different law for the governor of Zanfara state? Or that the same Sharia that is governing the poor people is the same Sharia that should govern the governor of Zanfara State, the governor of Kaduna State, the governor of uh, uh, Sokoto State, and all the governors and all the political elites. Because what you have now, I know, I mean, Dr. Rufai is here, is one law for the poor people and one law for the rich people, a different law for the rich people. So how can we claim to be practicing a law that is not inclusive, that is only targeted at the weak and the poor. Is that Sharia? I do not think so. I mean, from my little knowledge, I think Sharia does not differentiate between the rich and the poor. So we, we should give um, uh, Dr. Rufai the opportunity to respond to some of these issues. Yes. No, let me bring Dr. Rufai. So the, the question for you is with regard to the, the issue of blasphemy, because a number of states in Nigeria have sentenced people to death for the offense of criticizing the prophet Muhammad. And a number of other commentators have said that is not compatible with a democratic system. I know you said you think Sharia law in the North will be a positive thing. So do you agree that people should be sentenced to death for criticizing uh, a religious figure? Uh, Yes, uh, thank you very much. It is actually an idea or issue that I hold with high esteem. And the fact remains that if you go to the rural areas of the North today and sample the opinions of people in the rural areas, I am telling you 90 or 70% of the people will tell you that they will want to go for Sharia because it is a law that emphasizes on the issue of justice. It is not in any way a one-sided legal system. Rather, it is a holistic way of life of the people. Go to Zamfara today because of this issue of insecurity we are having in Zamfara. 
there are still substantial number of people that have the belief that Zamfara is in this mess simply because it does not in any way practice the Sharia that was introduced by Yerima the way it should. And they are now actually my, my, my paying. Question, they are now actually, they are now, excuse me. My question to you is, do you agree with them? With what? Do you agree with the idea that people should be sentenced to death for criticizing a religious figure? No doubt about it. I absolutely agree with it. I absolutely agree with it because it is something that revolves around the issue of religion, for instance. And you know, and I know, and everybody knows the fact that this is actually an offense looking at it within the context of the religion, for instance. Had it been, had it been is someone else, for instance, let's say, for instance, a non-Muslim, it could have probably be some, it could probably be something else. But the fact remains that this is something that the people believe in, they practice it, and also they have unconditional respect for Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Maybe peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And the fact remains that he should actually be sentenced to death with minimum delay. Because the failure to do that, for instance, it may actually generate a high level of tension that only God knows, only God knows how it will end. That is my opinion and that is my position. So Dr. Rafai, so how yeah. is your view, how is it compatible with a Nigerian constitution that says people should have the freedom of speech freedom of thought and freedom of religion how 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 then are these views compatible with no the issue of freedom of religion freedom of thoughts and freedom of speech for instance all these freedoms we are talking about have certain limits we've talked about actually freedom of speech and freedom of association but the fact also remains that there are limit there are limitations to the level of what one will say and when he will say it and where he should also say, say it. And you know, like, like I also know, and like any other, uh, any other person knows, the fact remains that you only have freedom of speech, but you don't have that freedom after that particular speech. And now what we are saying is something that is it is something that impinge on the rights and the belief and the tradition of certain group of people. So definitely, whatever one will say, must actually be very careful and also very cautious of what he will say. If not because of the intervention of, of, of the state government and, and, and all that, for instance, only God knows what will happen to that, that, that man. So the fact remains that it is the issue of religion and there are areas where we don't really need to go. There are boundaries actually. And there are, and also on no account should we actually cross these boundaries. For what? For peace to reign and for peace to be maintained in the society and also in the community. Thank you, Dr. Rafai. I mean, it's interesting. The quote you said that there's freedom of speech, freedom after speech. It was actually first attributed to the Idi Amin of Uganda, because yeah. I, can think of a, I, I can think of a practical example of that. So let's say I'm a Christian. Uh, Christianity obviously does not agree with the story of Islam, and Islam does not agree with the story of Christianity. So 
Are you saying if I write an article, for example, saying I disagree with the Quran or I disagree that Muhammad was a prophet, does does is that would how 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 can Christians function? Because the 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 essence of even writing a Christian belief or disagreeing with a position would be interpreted as blasphemy, wouldn't it? Uh, please, sorry, take it again. No, I said your last statement. I said, how how is this going to practically work? Because every religion, to an extent, believes the other religion is wrong. So Islam believes Christianity is wrong. Christianity believes Islam is wrong. So it means if a Christian just practices their faith or writes down an opinion that disagrees with Islam, does that then qualify them for blasphemy? Then the question is, is he actually a Muslim? Did he in any way also believe in the Islamic religion? And not only that, the issue we are now saying, if you look at the origin and the history of these two religions, for instance, there are quite a number of areas where the, the two religions here, a lot of things in common. But what we are saying is, look at even the origin, the origin of what? The origin of, 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 of laws, of whatever you can think of. The origin of the laws we call that governs our life and our daily affairs and our daily activities, for instance, is actually based on customs, on traditions of the people, for instance. And the question again is that, why did the North, for instance, opted for Sharia legal system when it actually went for the, the legal system? And what actually is the position of the constitution over what? Over the issue of uh, Sharia legal system? And the way and manner such issues are presented and also observed outside the north, outside the north, is absolutely different from what we see or from the reality we see on the ground. And as, as I said earlier, there are actually people that still have this belief and also feelings that they want to actually go back to what? Go back to the issue of Sharia legal system and they want their life, their affair, their everything should actually be guided by religion. So what I'm saying now is, we are still talking about the issue of what, the issue of limitations that are actually for the sake of Dr. Rafai, I think we've lost you again. Are you still there? No, I think we've lost Dr. Rafai. So over to you. Uh, Phoenix for the final word because we've got about I think three minutes to go. So Phoenix, you, you've heard all that Dr. Fire said, you've heard all that uh, Tarala said. So what, what is your view? Do you think that uh, Dr. Fire said the community for instance? Definitely there are limits. Dr. Fire, you, you cut out for a bit so we couldn't hear you. Are you still there? Phoenix, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I think Dr. Rifai is on mute. I think he's having some issues with connection or something. But, but let's wrap up, even. Okay, so the final point to you. So what, what is your view? Do you think that, uh, because the issue is how we can be battling this insecurity if the, the push for Sharia is still moving in, in parallel? And you've heard Dr. Rifai's views where he thinks uh, the, the move, the Sharia move is, is the right one and also agrees that people should be swiftly executed for blasphemy. So the final word goes to you and your response to that. 
I think I push back against the point around people should be swiftly um, executed. Um, that, that's one point we will never agree on and we will have diverging views on. But I think we, we would be, I mean, uh, um, I mean we'll be making this a severe error um, not to understand where he's coming from because it, it represents the view of a majority of, of the North. There are people who believe that Sharia legal system is the right one for them. And no matter how much we talk about Nigeria being a secular state or Nigeria being a, a constitutional democracy, it is not going to take away that wish um, from them. I think what is important is that we have a country where rights, I mean, democratic rights are, are protected, where people feel like they can live their lives um, the way they choose to, but also a country that that, that is structured in a way that allows the majority of people from a part of the country to do what they feel is right in their majority interest. I also think that Tyler raises a very important point. And that's where, when we restructure, we restructure with a new constitution that clearly spells out very clearly and explicitly the rights that we will all have as Nigerians and the rights that you will have in your various um, semi-autonomous states. And the Nigerian state has to be structured in a way that it protects everyone, such that if we run to refuge with the Nigerian state or the bar for proving your blasphemy or whatever you want to, to do has to be set so high within your parameters that Nigerian state um, can, can create that umbrella that is fair to everyone. Because Tyler is a valid, very valid point about one law for the poor, one law for the rich. That's what we see today. We see these governors for political expediency, pushing Sharia law. But we see them exhibiting the decadence that Sharia law is supposed to be against. We see them doing things that ordinarily, I mean, by now, what's his name? Ganduje should not have, should not have hands. If going by the video that we saw, him stuffing his pocket with, with, with cash, right? So there has to be a way that number one, we, we recognize our differences and we allow people to make choices based on those differences. But, but within, that, within making those choices, you also ensure that rights of other people are not infringed upon. And you know, like I was saying earlier, we would also need to make our own choices and vote with our feet. I've said it before, that if, if for instance, you want to institute Sharia law, then you should not be sharing in the VAT that is coming from, from the southern part of, the, of, of Nigeria where they allow people to drink. Why, why should you get out of that money? Why should people, I mean, when you hurt your, when you, when you put Sharia and people, do, people choose not to go and live there and, and don't want to work there, then companies will not invest there. So I think make, allowing, allowing us to restructure the country, if we want to be one Nigeria, we have to, we have to understand our ref, uh, differences and understand that a large number of people want this allow them to have it where, where they want to have it without, in, without infringing of, on other parts of the country and ensure that the Nigerian state protects enough of the fundamental human rights that make sure that anyone who is not comfortable with it can safely exist without being held under, that, under those conditions. But we cannot simply wish it away and think that, oh, because we say, uh, because we speak English or have, uh, common law or something like that that you can you can wish away people's 
wants for Sharia law. I think it breeds even more challenges, creates even more security issues, rather than us being more open-minded and finding the lasting political and legal solution to it. Thank you. Uh, should I, please, I just want to intervene briefly, just one minute. Thank you so much, Phoenix, for your points. And I, I want to say that while I disagree completely with, uh, with my colleague, uh, Dr. Rufai, on the issue of death penalty uh, for whatever form, not, not just blasphemy, death penalty, I say, oh, I'm completely against it. Um, uh, I respect his views that uh, he's able to confident to share these views in an in a, in a, in a open forum like this. And I think that if we are going to make any progress in Nigeria, that we should allow people to state where they stand on issues. 100%. And, and then engage from there, you know? Not, not going back and forth, let people stay. And, I, and this is the point I was trying to make that, and Dr. Rufai made the point that these views are not his views. They represent a significant the number of millions of people, more than 70% of people in rural areas and even urban areas in Northern Nigeria want Sharia. Let us start from that point and ask them, is what, kind, what do you mean by this? What, what is the implication of this for all the Nigerian society? What does it mean for minorities? What does it mean for homosexuals? What does it mean for people who are practicing different kind of religion? And I think this is the point. So if I will ask uh, Dr. Ahmed, who is, general, is that what does the belief, what does, when, when the non, one majority of people in the Northern Nigeria want Sharia, what does this mean for minorities? What does it mean for people who don't practice the religion? What does this mean for the poor? Um, we, what, what is the difference between the rich and the poor? So these are the issues that we need to address. And in that way, we will see that these are all linked to issues of security. And that is, that is how I will conclude. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Phoenix. Um, our time is up, so I'm just going to conclude. The first thing I must stress again is that there are, even based on international law, there are some human rights that states, states sign up to and they cannot derogate from them. They cannot derogate from the right to life. They cannot derogate from the right to freedom of conscience or freedom of religion. So regardless of how you restructure a state, once you derogate or delegate freedom of religion to individual states, then you're no longer one country. That's the first thing. So there's no way you can restructure Nigeria in a way where a state is practicing their own version of freedom of religion or freedom of conscience. It's no longer one country. Uh, secondly, to Tarala's point, we agree, we invite people here with diverse opinions. They're entitled to express those opinions, but it's also a rule of this podcast that those opinions are also entitled to be challenged. So we welcome Dr. Rafai, and we also would love to have you back as many times as possible. Your views will be, will be heard, but your views will also be challenged if we disagree in the same way I expect my views, Phoenix or Tarala's yes. views to also be challenged. Yes, yes, thank you, I'm, I'm, I'm actually back. No, yes, we're, we're, unfortunately, we're about to conclude because our time is up. So we'll, hopefully we'd love to have you back another time to carry on this conversation. But firstly, okay. I must thank you, Tarila, and thank you, Dr. Rufai, for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here. Thank, thank you, you, Phoenix, for co-hosting this podcast with me. And thank okay. you to our listeners for always being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. So until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Before you can stay behind. Okay, okay. Thanks, everyone. Um, NSARS, Lekki Massacre, still on our minds. When, when, let's, let's keep that uh, top of mind. Bye, everyone.